This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls, 1850-333-103. And as I look out the window, I came to work this morning and you could barely see in front of you. The fog was so thick and dense, but it has really started to burn off where I am at the moment. And I'm looking out at a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, clear blue sky. I don't, can't see a cloud around at all. Hopefully, wherever you are, you're witnessing something uh, similar. It's just gorgeous, gorgeous forecast for the day. Get out and enjoy it because I don't think it's going to last for the rest of uh, the weekend. I know we've got a warm and a humid day uh, forecast for tomorrow but there's cloudier conditions and the scattered showers as well so uh, is today going to be the last day of our summer? Who knows? We often get good September so we'll keep our fingers crossed that we might get some dry weather as we roll through um, roll through this uh, month. You can text or WhatsApp the programme this morning 0862 103 and a delightful photograph on the back page of the Examiner and I saw it also inside in the echo of the cast and crew of Philadelphia Here I Come that wonderful Brian Friel play who gathered yesterday in the Cork Opera House for their first day of rehearsals the play is due to run from the 5th of October through to the 16th uh, if you haven't seen this play by the way it's a cracker Brian Friel plays a wonderful anyway but Philadelphia Here I Come would be one of my favourite I think Brian Friel plays anyway uh, I digress Just it's just this great happy photograph of this cast every one of them standing in the seats of the Opera House with their, their arms raised above their heads and you can almost in the photograph hear the cheer that they made as the photographer was taking it. It really is fantastic. And actually later on this morning, we'll get a feel of what it was like for day one of rehearsals for all of those actors and actresses because we sent our own Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, along to the Opera House yesterday just to get a sample and a feel of the excitement and also what was it like for the actors to get back up and get back on the boards and get back to rehearsing. I imagine it was probably a strange experience for them or is it a little bit like riding a bike once you're an actor you never forget and they get straight back in to it but they are a group of people who certainly have been out of work since the start of the pandemic so we wish them and everybody involved in the arts because it is terrific to see the arts coming back and actually we will also feature locally a local drama group the Bantir drama group will be joining us later on on the programme because they are about to get back with their first production since the start of the pandemic so we'll chat more about that and other photographs of joy in the papers today has got to be 
the Europe's Leona Maguire. This is the young 26-year-old golfer from Cavan who I have to say and put my hand up and say she wasn't on my radar at all until the I was watching coverage over the weekend of the Solemn Cup which is the Ryder Cup for women isn't it? Isn't that how you would describe it? And Europe taking on America and this young woman from Cavan Leonora Maguire uh, was she's known as a rookie she was part of the team and she was the wild card ticket on the team but she she's pictured in the paper celebrating with her sister Lisa who by all accounts was a fine golfer as well and she's pictured after defeating the United States Jennifer Kupko on the 15th hole and that was during their singles uh, tie and of course Europe went on to return the cup retain the cup but they retained it in no small part thanks to Leona Maguire. She got a total of 4.5 points out of 5 which I'm told is a record for a rookie at the Solomon Cup. She was undefeated in her 5 matches and she was the first Irish woman to ever play in the event as well. It's fantastic so well done to Leona Maguire and it is a name I think we are going to be hearing a lot more about. Congratulations to her as I say. I love to I love going through the papers and looking at pictures and pictures that put a smile on your face. And on a day like today, with the weather so glorious, you can't help but uh, smile. And Jane by text saying, Patricia, great weather here too at uh, Ballylicky. Thank you for that. And anyone who contacts us by, who does, who normally contacts us by WhatsApp, because the great thing about WhatsApp is you can send on your photographs uh, free of charge with your WhatsApp message. If you're out this morning and you come across wonderful clear blue skies, Maybe nice photographs if you're lucky enough to be by the sea uh, today. Send them in to us because they always brighten our day as well. Now, the smoky coal ban. We have discussed the smoky coal ban before on this uh, programme, but now there is a date in place. And by this time next year, September of 2022, all of the country will become a low smoke zone under these new regulations. This time next year, only low smoke coal, smoke-free coal, uh, will be uh, will be allowed to be sold. Are coal-based nuggets? They'll be the only ones that you will be able to buy when you go to a coal merchant. This is a nationwide extension of the rules that are already in place now for forty-two towns and cities across the country. And then by twenty twenty-five, the smoke content of such fuels that will have to drop again by half. That's in a further move to try to dissuade solid fuel use and of course the whole aim of it is to improve our air quality. Tighter restrictions also are going to apply to wood fuels. That will happen within the year. It's going to require moisture content to be reduced and the idea of the moisture content being reduced in in wood if you reduce the moisture, you cut down on the amount of smoke. They'll do that within the year and then there will be more regulations in and more reductions that will apply by 2025. Now, no changes have been made yet to regulations on the cutting, burning or sale of sod peat. This is in order to accommodate those who have rights to harvest sod peat. Because of that no ban on its burning will be introduced according to the Department of the Environment. However, they do say a regulatory regime to reduce its harm in more urbanised area is under examination. They're not giving details, they're just saying they're examining it at the moment. A spokesperson from the Department of the Environment said a ban on selling peat 
for use by people other than those who have cutting rights that hasn't been ruled out and the very fact that they've mentioned it leads me to believe that that is something they're going to look at in the early stages if you have your own peat bog it's okay. You have a right to harvest that peat. You will have a right to burn it, but they will stop people from selling it. Um, And it seems that all of the rules and the regulations and what is possibly going to happen about the cutting of turf was the most contentious part of the proposed changes to the solid fuel regulations when they went out to public consultations earlier this year. Despite growing research showing that the particulate matter from smoky fuels they have discovered that they are the main cause of air pollution in our country's smaller towns. They're also the cause of premature deaths. We're told up to 1,300 people a year in Ireland die prematurely and it's from smoky air. Some rural TDs and rural campaigners are strongly opposed to any attempt to restrict peat and we've heard all of the arguments in the past that families have been going to the bog you know, for centuries and it's it's a piece of bog that's been passed down from generation to generation and it's almost in our DNA and people get really upset and very opposed to any suggestion that we would be, that people would be forced to stop cutting peat. Now the Environment Minister Eamon Ryan, who we know happens to be uh, the leader of the Green Party, uh, very much, very much in uh, favour of the smoky coal ban. He announced this new regime and he announced it in time for the International Clean Air Day and that aims to stimulate action on air pollution And he makes the point that when the government was formed, the government gave a commitment to tackle air pollution and particularly air pollution caused by domestic solid fuel burning. And they remain committed to doing so. The public consultation included a series of town hall meetings, but it generated more than three and a half thousand submissions. And I imagine that could in itself almost be a record on a public consultation by the government. So three and a half thousand people, there was recommendations and suggestions uh, went in from the public, from health experts, from environmentalists, retailers got involved and obviously solid fuel, the solid fuel industry was very much involved. But some of the health experts that got involved included people like the Asthma Society of Ireland. They very much welcomed the further restrictions, but they say that the the government efforts to reduce air pollution has been unacceptably slow and if you suffer from asthma or have a family member that suffer from asthma you will know how important it is to have good clean air around you. The Irish Bioenergy Association now they represent the suppliers of wood fuels. They gave a cautious welcome to the changes but they do uh, stress a number of its members are already meeting the new standards so they feel that they have nothing really to worry about. Now a public awareness awareness campaign is being launched to advise about these new regulations and one of the things they're going to do they're going to urge people to only light domestic fires when absolutely necessary and they're trying to get everybody in advance of the total ban on smoky fuels. They're encouraging everybody to try to opt for low smoke fuels where possible during the winter period ahead. And I was I was thinking about that and I was thinking, all right, this is going to be, this campaign will start because it's a year from when the total nationwide ban comes in. So they're going to get this year of trying to get people, if you have an open fire, to get used to the idea that you're going to have to go 
smoke free. Uh, but also this notion of encouraging people to only light a domestic fire when absolutely necessary. That's absolutely fine for households that have another form of heating. But there are many and I don't know the numbers and it will be it'll be interesting. I'll try and do a bit of research on this uh, later on this afternoon. It'll be interesting to see are there figures available on how many houses in this country rely on the open fire for heat. Rely on the open fire maybe to heat a back boiler. That back boiler then goes on to heat the radiators. That back boiler heats the hot water. And for some families, that is the only option they have. So it isn't a case of, will I light the fire in the front room because it gives a nice atmosphere? And we know there are households who at Christmas time, for example, will only light a fire uh, because, you know, it's nice and homely and all of that. It's a part of a Christmas tradition, perhaps. And it's a luxury then to, to light the fire. But you're not relying on it for your heat. But what if the families? who have to rely on that open fire. It's not a case then that for them, they'll only light the fire when it's absolutely necessary. It will be absolutely necessary when the weather turns and we get into a cold spell. They'll have no choice but to get up every morning and light that fire in order to keep them and the rest of their family warm. 1850-333-103. Your views welcomed on that from this time next year. The ban on smoky coals extended nationwide. On the introduction of the nationwide smoky coal ban. Hi Patricia. I only have an open fire that heats the water with a back boiler. I live in a very old house and it's very thick water walls and when it gets cold it can take a very long time to warm up the house. this house. I live in a rural area so I don't have a gas supply. So what to do when this ban comes in? I expect that the smoke-free coal will then increase in price and be very expensive. So once again it looks like it'll be more clothes. I'll have to put on extra layers at night and then scrape the ice off the inside of the windows. Uh, that's the, my reality and that's the reality for a number of people who live in an older house. They can be really really difficult to heat and you're right if you live in a rural area you can't even connect to a a gas line so you're not on your own uh, with that one for sure. Someone else was on on this saying that uh, Gary in Cove um, he said it's maddening that one guy in the doll now he is referring to me mentioning the Environment Minister Eamon Ryan one guy in the doll with just five members is making all of these decisions yes I accept that the environment is important but making a small party make such huge decisions is wrong and everybody has to run along with it it seems to be all about a green agenda with this current doll and who is the one that's most affected when, when the Greens decide to make changes it's us that live in rural rural areas. That's from Gary in Cove. 1850-333-103 and thank you to a listener who says for anybody who's planning on going to the COVID walk-in test centre in Ballinacarriga, that's just outside Dunmanway, just to let you know there's a massive queue for the walk-in testing where you just turn up with no appointment. Waiting time at the moment is about one hour. Yesterday, the waiting time was two hours. Anyone with an appointment can simply drive in at their allocated time, but the online booking for Ballinacarriga is full for today. So anyone who doesn't have an appointment, if you need to get a COVID test, then you must join the massive queue of cars. And I'm assuming that this listener is in that queue because they say, 
great. Thank God that the sun is uh, shining. It, it doesn't surprise me to hear that there was a two hour wait yesterday because I was reading in the papers today and the HSC, and I don't know how they managed to be able to predict this. They knew that the referrals yesterday, with the referrals and walk-ins were going to be at their highest uh, yesterday and they nearly hit 20,000 people who came forward for testing yesterday and 20,000 would actually be the capacity for the test uh, centres and they had predicted it because I saw it somewhere on Sunday that the HSC was ramping up and they knew there was going to be a lot of people coming for testing on Monday so it doesn't surprise me to you that there was a two hour wait yesterday but do not let that deter you if you need to go for your test please go but all of the online appointments for Barrel and Carriga are full for today so you're going to have to queue up and wait 1850 Hi Patricia would you know please when is Graeme Norton's holding that's currently been filmed in West Cork? When will it be released and on what channel, please? I know it will be a four part series, but I don't know any more about that. And I'm wondering when is it due on TV? I did a quick search for you there to see if I could find out and they still haven't released a date. We do know it's an ITV Ver, slash Virgin Media television adaptation of Graham Norton's best-selling book Holden. So we'll take it from that. It's definitely going to be on ITV and do we take it here for for us it'll be on Virgin Media TV I'm assuming is where it's going to be shown but it's still they must be pretty close are they now to having to the uh, to wrapping up the filming as far as as I know they're still filming so it has to go into post-production and all of that Will it be next year? Will it be early next year? I don't know how long an actual television four-part adaptation takes from filming to get it into the editing, to get it into the post-production to then eventually be be ready for us to see on TV. But as soon as we have a date, but as of yet, they haven't confirmed ITV, our Virgin Media Television has not given any date or even any indication as to when it is going to be shown. But don't you know, there will be massive publicity around it. And as soon as we hear, we'll bring those details to you. John Paul taking your calls, 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Yesterday, TDs held an emergency meeting to discuss the proposed closure of the Ona Curra Centre in Middleton, which is a residential mental health facility. To discuss how the meeting went, I'm joined by Deputy Pat Buckley of Sinn Fein. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Patricia. No. It's a beautiful morning. Yeah, listen to me. It was a pleasure listening to you a while ago, actually, with all nice good news. Uh, okay. Listen, yeah. any bit of good news I can pick out from the papers, I try to grab it every morning. But listen, give me the background to this story. Firstly, when did families and residents find out that the centre was due to close? This was just towards the end of June, maybe the start of July, and to be told that it would be closed for the... Well, the closing and the phasing out would be uh, by October 31st this year. A complete surprise to families? I, I, you know my attitude, Patricia, to this, and I'll be brutally honest with you. I got a phone call from the Minister for Mental Health and Other People, Mary Butler, the morning of the day that that news was going to break. It was like going to be like a little buffer zone for me. I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. And what has escalated since is that the, I suppose, the relations say parents or brothers and sisters of those patients in that one occurrence centre have had just maybe one letter from the HSE. I mean, communication has been uh, atrocious. 
Um, okay, outline the reasons given by the HSE for this proposed closure. Well, according to, uh, I suppose, 2016, 18 and 20 uh, Mental Health Commission reports, obviously there was findings within that and the HSE came to a conclusion after reading these reports that um, the building was not fit for purpose. Now, under no circumstances did in the Mental Health Commission's report state that the building was to close or the services were to go. This is where the crux is. What we have here is we have just proven that there has been an extreme lack of investment in mental health, obviously over the last number of years, but certainly with the HSC in Middleton and in the Zona Curse Centre, there doesn't seem to be any upgrades of the building. There didn't seem to be any investment in it. It just left it the way it was after report, after report, after report. How, o- how seems- old is the building? Uh, I'd say it's about 35, maybe more years old. It's not a... A Victorian it's, building. Okay, no, and what, no, and what condition it. is it in? Well, I mean, what, have you been in I, there? What are families saying to you? What are residents saying to you? This, this is what makes it very difficult for the residents and for the staff and for the families here. They're all in shock. I mean, it's a beautiful building. Yes, archaic and old. Uh, a beautiful square inside in the centre of it. All plants and lovely seating and they do their own vegetables. The people in there patients have access to the town. You can walk down the town, they can go for a cup of coffee across the road. I know some they're going to the local pottery place others their highlight of the week is to go across the road to the farmer's market and all that is going to be gone. We have I have a number, I can't even imagine how many parliamentary questions I've been but at the moment, because of the computer hack, the excuse is that we'll basically go away, we'll tell you when you can end ask questions and how, answer for how, how many residents are we talking about live there, Pat? We have 19 at the moment and 24 bed. Yeah, but you also had a... They offer, yeah, I was just going to say they offer respite and we know, even though I'm assuming there was no respite offer during the pandemic. You're correct. But, You're okay, spot on there. But, but n- n- for, for 19 people, this is home. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, look, I, as I said, nobody knows where are all these services are going to? Where's the daycare services? Where's the mental health services? Where's the respite services? Uh, a lot of these people are elderly, and obviously their relations are elderly. They don't drive. Um, if you're going to put these people out to talk, or or it's been suggested up to Sarsfields Court, people are very, very limited with getting access you know, to those buildings to visit. But the most worrying thing here is Listening to witnesses' stories yesterday, Patricia, and I'm hardened in this, and you can hear my voice now. I was emotionally and physically upset listening to people talking about their loved ones and how they're going to regress, that this is their home. It took years and years because of their conditions to build up trust with other patients and with staff members and so on and so forth. And just to pull the rug out from under those people now, it, I mean... <laughs> They're going to totally regress. It's going to send a lot of these patients back to where they were originally. And I cannot understand. We are here, like that centre has never had a single case of COVID since COVID began. Since that centre was there, has never had a suicide in that centre. Never. And do, and do, do I take from what you're saying that even though work needs to be done at the centre, the residents haven't been complaining? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, nothing complaining of the service or anything, but the fact is that the, a lot of these um, 
patients now weren't really aware of what was happening. And there's very, very little contact regarding patients and family members. There's been totally, practically zero. And, and I'm listening because I'm, I'm talking to people, you know, that are connected to that centre. And I mean, it, it's all about, it's the cost of building, right? And it's easier for them, the HSE, to fix this problem by just getting rid of the whole lot of it. Now, Patricia, we've been speaking about mental health for years. Right, you can mm. go back to 2000 to 2002. We had 69 suicides in East Cork. Now, I've sat on the Future Mental Health Care Committee. I've sat on the Stranger Care Report Committee, and all of these committees. It was all about community-based, right? Community-resourced integration, you know, within the town or wherever the hinterland is. And now we have a perfect model that is working and has worked here in Middleton. And because of a lack of investment in the upkeep of the building, that the HSC have decided we'll use one of the Health Commission's reports as an excuse, and we'll just get rid of the whole lot. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, is are we talking huge sums of money to bring the building up to the standard that the HSC want or that the Mental Health Commission want? Is it a lot of money? I couldn't honestly say, you know, quote how much. But put it this way, like the, the Mental Health Commission's job is to make sure, it's like us in opposition, you, you hold the government to account. The Mental Health Commission within the Mental Health Services holds the Mental Health Services to account. What the Mental Health Service Commission do is go in to try and improve those services in every way they can. And that's why obviously they do a report. But the point here is the HSC have never invested in the upkeep of that building. Right? Mm. So that's where the failure is. And how to fix that problem instead of spending money. You know, if all those services go out of these cars, that's it. They're gone. I mean, and I'm right in Yeah, I'm right in saying that it's the only mental health facility in that area of East Cork. That's it. So, I mean, if anything, we need more centres like Ona Carragher, which is, is, as you say, it's exactly what the HSC has always been pushing for. I mean, I was only reading up stuff on uh, New Directions uh, yesterday on the Disability Federation, and it's all about care in the community. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, look, people live in local... It's like everything. The local expert obviously lives local. I mean, if you're in... Like I'm here in Cork, you know, I wouldn't have the local knowledge of some place and say in Letterkenny or something. You know what I mean? But my biggest fear here is that there's been a lack, a savage, and I mean an unbelievable lack of communication for everyone in this. Um, and no con- no consultation, whatever about communication, it doesn't look like anyone was asked for their views on what will this mean if we decide to close this building. And the other thing, Pat, if the HSC's pr- plan is end of October, building closed, what do they plan to do with the building? I've asked that question, Patricia, and I get the exact same answer as same reply as I have for all my parliamentary questions at the, at the moment. We'll tell you when we're ready to answer questions, and then you can resubmit them again. Will, will mean, it be a derelict? Will it just be? Will it just be a derelict site? See, this is it. We don't know. I mean, location-wise, it's ideal. It's at the top of the town. Uh, it's accessed by two roads running parallel on both sides of the building, and another road. I mean, the opposite way below, as I said, it's centre to town, it's across from the farmer's market, super value. It's less than a minute's walk from the main street. Um, it, it, it has everything except 
proper investment from the HSE to keep these services going. And there is job losses there. They told us there wouldn't be job losses. The catering staff will not have alternative workers. I've been told they won't. They say that staff will be redeployed. But where are you going to be redeployed to? I mean, and, I and, and, it's, and it's important for the residents for continuity of care that they have staff that know them and understand them and have been supporting them maybe for, for, for many years. It got, discussed, it got discussed yesterday at the Oireachtas Subcommittee on Mental Health. What was the outcome of that discussion? Well, we'll now be moving forward to uh, a public meeting roughly in about two weeks' time. Obviously, you have to give whoever the witnesses are and the ministers, you have to give them so many days' notice and stuff. Um, we want to bring in members of the HSC. I know that the minister, Mary Butler, she's flagged to come in as well. But what we need here is a total reversal of the HSC's decision. You need an impact report on each and every one of those individuals. They were promised individual care packages. They got a letter. That was it. To say we're closing. You will be redeployed. Full stop. That's not the way to treat people. Not when they're most vulnerable. Not when they're, okay. you said, built up trust with patients and staff. And, and, a, and, and as of now, that date of October 31st, which is a date fast approaching, that's the date that Onakara Centre Middleton is closed. That's the date that we lose all services in East Cork. Well. Not only for Middleton, it's in East Cork. And I think it's an absolute travesty in the middle of a pandemic with sorry mental health issues. We're going to have a big backlash on that because I'm listening to it most days. Anxiety in people, and the best thing that the HSC can come up with a plan to protect people is just to close it. Okay, you hope you hope to have a public meeting. We'll be be having a public meeting in two weeks' time, and we will have the minister in. Okay, well, let let, let us know, and we'll we'll certainly give it a shout out for people who who want to uh, attend. But my my heart goes out to to the residents and to their families, and the nightmare that they're faced with at the moment. You know, a place, and and it mightn't be. You know, five star, but it's been their home. It's a sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. and and it's we mustn't forget it's been their home. Listen, uh, Pat, keep us informed, and thank you Your for that. Lady. Thanks, thanks and for thank joining us. Too. Good Stop morning it. to you. Uh, bye bye. That is Cork East Sinn Féin all deputy uh, Pat Buckley. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Yesterday, the Minister of State for the Circular Economy, Oshin Smith, announced that all clean plastic packaging waste including soft plastic, can now be placed in our recycling bins. Joining me to discuss the significance of this decision is Pauline McDonough, who is spokesperson for the website My Waste. Good morning to you, Pauline. Good morning, and, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. Now, what, what has changed that is now allowing us to be able to recycle soft plastic? Yes, so what has changed is that we have nine recycling facilities in Ireland and there's been a huge, a significant improvement and investment in those facilities over the past two to three years. 
So over 10 million euro of investment has been placed in these facilities to allow for improved sorting. And it's a technology that's been brought in which uses an infrared technology or a laser type technology. It's like a light system, an optical system that allows the plastics when they're being, um, you know, converted along a, a conveyor belt to be sorted into the different types of plastic packaging. So it's a huge announcement and it's a great step forward for Irish people. And it really, more than anything, it, it makes it easier, doesn't it, for householders? Because yeah. people hover over the bin going, where, oh, where, what am I to do with this? That's it. And everyone has their own stance on it. You know, this can go in, that can't go in. So what we're trying to do is level the playing field, make it easier for every householder or every citizen in the country, and then more and better sorting at the recycling facilities. And you see, the danger as well was, Patricia, that when people weren't sure, they were actually putting a lot of their recyclables into the general waste. And if it goes in there, we've no hope at all of recycling it. Whereas at least if you make a mistake or if there's something that's gone into the recycling bin that can't be recycled, it can be pulled out at the plant. Okay, and the obvious question that somebody has just sent in by text. Patricia, could you ask your guest, our guest is Pauline uh, McDonough from the website My Waste. What does she mean by soft plastic? Just describe what soft plastic is. Exactly. So a soft plastic is something that you can scrunch in your hand. So it's really about packaging. So if you think of the things that you buy when you go out shopping, so you might buy, for example, a bag of salad. That bag is a soft plastic. Your toilet rolls come in a bag. That's a soft plastic. Um, Your pasta, your rice, um, your sugar, all of these different things, a bag of granola, they're all soft plastic. And we have a full list, including descriptions, up on mywaste.ie. And the other thing to remember, Patricia, is with COVID, there was a whole, you know, new movement towards online shopping. And we do get a lot of soft plastics in online shopping as well. Clothing comes sometimes in an envelope, um, you know, a strong plastic envelope, or there may be bubble wrap as well around a product. And that can now be recycled. Ah, that's good, because I always hovered with the bubble wrap, never knowing what, yeah. what uh, to do with it. Somebody's asking about crisp bags. Yes. So a crisp bag is actually, it's a hybrid of different things. It's a flexible plastic that's painted with what looks like a foil. Okay. Now, at the moment, they they are changing. They will change over time. Some of them are recyclable and some of them aren't. But again, what we're saying is put them in the recycling bin and the recycling processors will sort out the recyclable ones from the unrecyclable ones. And Patricia, could I just add as well that coupled with all of this announcement on the technology and the investment, there are huge changes coming in packaging. There's a drive right across Europe to make all packaging recyclable in in the next number of years. And uh, most companies that are in Ireland are all changing or working towards improving and changing their packaging. So it's going to be great going forward for us consumers. We'll be less concerned about the packaging that we have. Okay. The someone's asking about the your plastic carrier bag that hopefully when you go to the supermarket you don't need to be buying because you brought your own bags with you. Yeah. But when you get caught out, the plastic bags. Yep. That that's again is another flexible bag and definitely the handles go on them sometimes or they get torn. So that again can go into your recycling bin. And the just the key things to remember are make sure anything you're putting in is clean and dry and then pop it loosely in the bin to aid the sorting process. Are we good at recycling our waste, Pauline, in this country, or could we improve? 
Well, do you know what? We're very good. Okay, we're very good at lots of things, but there's always room for improvement. And at the moment, of all the plastic that's on the market, only about a third of it is being recycled. So by announcing that we can now put all plastics into the recycling bin, that's going to help us to get more of this plastic and recycle it. I suppose where we go wrong is sometimes around cleanliness. And this is very important, okay? We cannot expect if, you know, if you put packaging in that's still got food residue on it, that can't be recycled. That needed to be washed and just left to dry in your draining board. And when we're talking about washing or cleaning things, we're not talking about scrubbing them. You know, you can just have your, um, finish your washing up, your, your wash basin is there, just give the things a quick rinse so there's no food residue on them. But it's important that they then go in dry because it is dry yeah. recycling. Exactly. So just leave them on the countertop or the draining board overnight and then pop them in the next day. You know, yeah. take some of the stress out of it, I think, really, is just trying to get yourself organised around recycling. Yeah, and get the whole family involved, I think. That's it's, it. You know, oh, yeah, and children, team effort. Ch- ch- children are, are terrific. If you have a piece of clean tin foil that doesn't have food on it, can mm. that be popped in the recycling bin? It can indeed, Patricia. And the thing with tin foil is, obviously, it's a foil. So it's a metal and metals are recyclable. Needs to be clean, definitely. Scrunch it into a bowl and then again on the processing plant conveyor belt that will get picked up as a um, a tin or a foil or a metal and that will go off for recycling. Okay, and Lucy wants to know what happens to all of our recycled items? Do they get remade into other plastic items? Yes, with plastics a lot of them do. Now obviously... Um, if we're talking about food packaging, it has to be up to food grade standard. And there is um, a lot of companies looking at investment in technology here in Ireland to create some new packaging opportunities. Um, you know, because up until now, the last couple of years, most of our recycling was actually shipped abroad. But now we're looking at how we can build some further infrastructure here. Brilliant. But yes, plastic will always be converted back into plastic. So some of it won't be the same. Like, say, for example, um, you know, some plastics may get converted into things like a children's plastic bucket, um, garden furniture, you know, this type of thing. There are loads, a myriad of different things, plastic plant pots, all these different things that are made from recycled content. Are we getting closer to a deposit scheme for plastic bottles and aluminium cans, mm-hmm. Pauline? Are we getting closer to that? Yeah, there's there's some trials going to go ahead on that uh, particular um, item. The public are very interested in this and they always talk about it. And, you know, for older people, sometimes it's remembering deposits on bottles from before. But also people like the idea, particularly for trying to prevent litter for when we're on the go, you know, because that's where we see an awful lot of plastic bottles and cans being um, littered. When we're at home, we're obviously putting them into our recycling bin. But yeah, there are some trials planned and they will happen over the next year or so. And then we will probably have a way forward on deposit return. Yeah, I saw, I, I read in the paper yesterday, it was a little store yeah. in County Dublin. They're, they're starting a trial of it. 
They did. They did an announcement last week and um, because I was getting ready for this um, project myself, I didn't have time to read a lot about it. But I think they are looking at um, having some facilities across all of their stores just to see how the public react as well. OK, it's brilliant. It, 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 yeah. really, it really is good. And, and, you know, we got we'll get used to it. We got used to the plastic bags. We got used yes. to. Did we ever think we'd be going to the supermarket with all our own, all our own shopping bags? Yeah. You wouldn't think you're going now without them. You wouldn't. And I think the thing to remember, Patricia, as well, is because some people are saying, you know, will because we can recycle all our plastic now, does that just not mean that people will take more of it or use more of it? And it is important to remember as well that we have great habits you know, like lots of people now have gone and invested in little bags for bakery products or food, um, fruit and veg, etc. Mm. Keep doing that or choosing loose or buying in bulk so that you have less plastic. Well, you know, it's it's a whole combination of recycling better, but also not wasting resources and trying to be as efficient as we can around waste. Yeah, and it's all habits. You get into the habit and yeah. suddenly you're doing it and you, you, you don't. Listen, we're going around wearing masks, going to the supermarket. That's it. And, we, and we, we, do con- it, we do it without thinking. We continuously adapt and that's what's great, you know. And this is all about the environment. This is all about resources and it's about the future and trying to build this circular economy so that we don't keep taking resources and discarding them. We need to keep re- reusing and recycling. Yeah, and leaving this planet for future generations. Yeah. Listen, your website, by the way, I spent uh, so much time on it yesterday. It's fantastic. Mywaste.ie for anyone who's got any questions at all, because I can see more and more questions coming in about can I put this in, can I not put that in. If you go on mywaste.ie, all the information is there. Pauline, a real pleasure. Thank you for that. Thank you, And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Pauline McDonough of the website mywaste.ie on that good news that was announced yesterday. All clean plastic packaging waste can now go into your recycling bin. John Paul taking your calls 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts uh, coming in reacting to my interview with uh, Deputy Pat Buckley from uh, Cork East about this closure of the Onacara Centre in Middleton where the parents and the relatives of the residents uh, were informed it seemed just by letter in June that they're going to close it on the 31st of October and of course obviously huge concern for people who have been living in this centre with some people feeling that there's nowhere for them to go and the fact that it's a mental health facility people have lived there for many years, it is their home They're, they've established links with the community and it can be really really difficult for people who have battled mental health maybe all of their lives, finally finding someplace secure and then to lose that security and the HSE say they're doing it because of the building and uh, the HSE said it's building experts in the HSE estates uh, advised that the building was in very poor condition it had major defects and they said that even if refurbishment took place they couldn't guarantee it would meet the current building requirements because of that they decided to close uh, the centre and it has left the families and the residents in a very very distressed and upset state some of your thoughts coming in listening to Pat Buckley this morning Tim says the oh this is Tim has a bit of the background on the Onacara Centre. He said, I think 
He said it opened in 1985. He said it's a wonderful model for psychiatric services. The residents are part of Middleton and they can spend the day pursuing their own interests in the town. There's no stigma. The residents are accepted as members of the wider community. I think it may have actually been opened by Mary Robinson, says uh, Tim, when it has been in existence for, it has been in existence for quite a few few years, but certainly for at least 30 years. The building structure, though, has been forgotten about. But if it was a new build 30 years ago, it isn't. I was expecting Pat Buckley to say, oh, it's an old Victorian building that has been there, you know, for centuries almost. But 30 years isn't that long ago. I mean, okay, I accept listening to Pat and listening to some of the families that there's been not a lot of work done on it, but surely it can be brought back up to some kind of a reasonable standard for the residents themselves. Bearing in mind that it's not the residents that are complaining. It would be very different if you had all the residents and all their families out and there were, you know, street protests about the condition of this building. None of them have complained about it. I mean, because it's their home and they, you know, they were happy even if the conditions weren't up to uh, scratch. Thanks for that, uh, Tim. Somebody says the HSC does like power and if the Middleton service wasn't their idea maybe that's why they're not supporting it and well I don't I don't know the background to it I don't know how this centre came about the people who need help I'm sure would take it from within the bushes that might sound a bit extreme but maybe the HSE should realise that saving lives where mental health is the issue rather than the quality of the building maybe that is the real issue here they should learn to prioritise and wake up to what sometimes can be a nonsensical lack of logical reasoning says a listener there's no name on that uh, Jim says hi Patricia it would be a real real shame if that mental health facility in Middleton closes down just due to money to have it upgraded I'm sure there'll be no shortage of money to upgrade the doll building again as we've heard lately there's plaster falling off the ceiling and especially as lots of money was spent on it only a few years ago uh, shame on the government if and especially Micheál Martin Cork-based Taoiseach if they allow this building to close um, and Jim says is Pat Buckley the brother of two brothers who succumbed to suicide and if so well done to him for highlighting this and his work for mental health yeah that's actually the first time I would have spoken with Pat would have been before he ever had an interest in politics and it was because he and his family sadly lost two gorgeous brothers uh, to suicide and they've done huge huge work in particularly in that East Cork area to help people struggling with their mental health and that actually led really to Pat and his life in politics and mental health is something he's a fantastic advocate for mental health so yes Jim well spotted he is one and uh, the same so uh, people very upset very upset indeed listen we'll keep a close eye and see what is to happen with this building as I say the campaign now seems to be underway families in particular are trying to get together and the people in Middleton as well you know judging by Tim's comment about you know they've integrated into the community there's no stigma associated with living in this establishment and people just come to know have known it and and total acceptance which can always be hard when a new mental health facility opens uh, anywhere so we'll keep an eye as I say it is due to close on the 31st of October we'll see what comes out from the Oireachtas meeting that was held yesterday and also now Pat talks about some kind of a public meeting being held at the end of the month 1850 333 103 on recycling and says Patricia 
Patricia, where do you put empty paint uh, tins? Empty paint tins should go to your civic immunity site. Gather them up and there's usually a place just inside in the civic immunity. I know I've been in the civic immunity site in Mallow and they have all the empty what's left because very few tins of paint you get right down to the bottom there'll be a quarter left or a half left and I know in some of the recycling centres and I saw it one time in Mallard I don't know if it's still the case people were able to go and take the paint tins do you know if there was only a little bit you might have been short of colour and the colour might be inside in the recycling centre but it's a civic community site you certainly don't put it in for landfill and you don't put it in to you uh, to your recycling uh, bin also on the Green Party and the ban on Smoky Coals, which is going to be nationwide from this time next year. Heidi says, Patricia, I agree with Gary, one of your earlier callers who texted in about the power that the Green Party has at the moment. Gary's point is so right. I've said it before to you. The Green Party will make the lives of those of us that live in rural areas a nightmare. I feel also, like Gary, that they have too much clout for such a small party. How much more are we going to be dictated to what is happening to our democracy? whenever there is a move by the Green Party and while the Green Party are doing it we all accept that the environment needs to be protected a lot of people saying it does seem to be that it is the, those that live in rural areas are the ones that get most hit by any changes in Green Party uh, policies. Hi Trish so the government want to ban smoky fuel. Well they would want to ban cigarettes. They're saying they're banning smoky, smoky fuel. What was the figure that we had uh, 1300 premature deaths because of air pollution Yvonne is making the point well cigarettes kill a lot more people prematurely every year so if you're going to look at banning smoky fuels to save on premature deaths Yvonne's saying well what about banning cigarettes and other tobacco products we all know that smoking kills I'll tell you why says Yvonne that the government won't ban cigarettes e-cigarettes or other tobacco products it's because the lads in the doll are making too much money from tobacco ban the cigarettes now for once and for all get the message out there that smoking kills smoking spares no one young or old Thank you for reading my message. That is from Yvonne. Thank you, Yvonne. And Mary says, I burnt this smokeless coal last year in my stove. And I have to say, says Mary, I thought that there was less heat from it than burning the traditional smoky coal. Have other people noticed that, that it doesn't give the same amount of heat. And then somebody else is saying, what is added or taken away? to make smoky coal. Could you find out, please? I did a quick search on it and I'm told how smokeless fuels are made. They're manufactured by breaking down the the um, anserous rock, the anserous anthracite, God, I couldn't say the word, anthracite rock. They break it down and they make it into a fine dust. Then when they get that fine dust, that fine dust then is moulded using a smokeless binding agent and then it's made into the shapes that we find, smoky coals or, or whatever it is um, uh, that, that you buy. So they break it down, fine dust, and then there's a binding agent used. But does it give off as much heat as your traditional smoky coal 
does. Mary, one of our listeners, listener reckons no. And thank you to a listener down in West Cork who says the Graham, Graham Norton holding that somebody wants to know when would it be televised. It actually is still being filmed. Thank you. I was wondering when was it? Do you think it, does it run right throughout the month of September as well? It's in League and the surrounding area. So filming is still well underway. So if filming is still well, well underway, we can take it from that. It is certainly going to be possibly into next year by the time they get into editing and the post-production and all that other work that needs uh, to be done. Now, somebody is worried about their child going to school. Is it true that there is a lot of children being sent home because of COVID cases? Well, I don't know what you mean about a lot of. There is, all of the papers today are picking up on the fact that there's about 12,000 which is a big figure. 12,000 school children who are at home. Now, they're at home restricting their movements. The reason for that is they've been identified as a close contact of a confirmed uh, case. And bearing in mind that the school children have only just come back to school, they're not even back a full fortnight at this stage. But the HSE are telling us that there is no evidence yet of classroom outbreaks. However, there are fears that the number of school children being identified as close contact, contacts is going to grow even further. And of course, if your child is identified as a close contact, then they have to remain at home and they have to go forward for testing. Children who have tested positive for COVID-19 so early in the school term uh, is is are likely to have picked it up in the community. They're saying this couldn't have happened in the classroom. The children brought it in, but then the children who are in class with that particular pupil, they're deemed a close contact and they have to head home. Neve O'Brien is Head of Testing and Tracing in the HSE and she said positive cases have been found so far in 700 primary schools and 500 secondary schools. The knock-on of that is... 12,000 children then being identified as close contacts they have to restrict their movements um, at home now on average they say for a primary school child if a primary school child is a confirmed case of COVID-19 that child will have 15 close contacts if a secondary school pupil is identified they have on average 3 close contacts children who are close contacts have to restrict their movement for 10 days if on the day 10 test it's negative, they can then return to the classroom. But if, and seemingly this does happen, some parents do not agree to their child being tested, if that's the case and your child is identified as a close contact, they must remain at home for uh, 14 days. Now, if a child is over the age of 12 in secondary school, you could have a 12-year-old in primary school as well. We know the rollout of the vaccine. There's been a lot of 12 to 15-year-olds and we know a huge number of 16 and 17-year-olds have been very uh, have already been vaccinated. If your son or daughter is in school and they are vaccinated, they can't be deemed a close contact unless they present with symptoms. So if your son or daughter is, is in class, somebody in the classroom ends up testing positive for COVID-19 and your son or daughter is identified as a, as a close contact, anyone who hasn't been vaccinated must go home, go for the two tests. And if the t- test on day 10 is clear, they can go back. And if you don't get them tested, they stay at home for 14 days. But if your son or daughter is fully vaccinated, then they can't be deemed, deemed a close contact and they won't be sent home from school and they can continue with their education in the classroom. The biggest volume of children referred for testing is the under 14s and the positivity rate is 9%. So it's, it is quite low. And as I mentioned earlier, when somebody was saying about the, the wait for the walk-in 
test centres in Dunmanway was running at an hour this morning, but it was two hours yesterday. And that's because referrals yesterday uh, at all of the testing centres all over the country, 20,000 people went forward for testing and that's near capacity. Uh, students in some third level colleges, now they also returned yesterday. But there's no real concerns about third level because the expectation is that even for those who do present with COVID-19 they're not expecting a huge level of infection because the majority of that age group have already been vaccinated those that are heading into a third level and so they're not expecting anything to, not, they're certainly not expecting 12,000 people for example to be sent home from third level as close contacts because again they can't be identified as a close contact if they have been fully vaccinated uh, so 700 when that listener was asking about how many children have tested positive for uh, COVID-19. 700 so far in primary school, 500 in uh, secondary school. But as I say, the HSE are saying they didn't pick that up in school. They picked it up out in the community. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A breakfast chef is required. That's for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. While a full-time hair care care assistant, you must have FETEC level 5 in early care, in elderly care and part-time household staff wanted. It's for the Maria Goretti nursing home and they are in Kilmallock. Dan Seaman Motors are looking for a qualified and a trainee parts person. It's for their car parts department on Forge Hill in Cork. And experienced painter and decorator wanted for full-time position in Bandon and the surrounding areas. Liam is your contact on 086 2790329. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. A West Cork woman living in the UK says she feels barred from coming home because she may be arrested if she brings her medicinal cannabis with her. Caroline Barry is from outside of Clonakilty and she's one of the first people in the UK to be prescribed cannabis for her ADHD. And Caroline joins me this morning to share her story. Good morning to Caroline. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? Well, I'm very well and and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. I suppose just to get the background here, when were you first diagnosed with ADHD and how has it impacted your life? Um, So I was first diagnosed with ADHD when I was around 10 um, and it's it's affected every part of my life, to be honest. Um, It's affected the way that I work, my relationships, the way that I interact with people. And, you know, I I, I find that I'm unable to concentrate. I have a lot of excess energy. You know, there's so many different ways that uh, that it, it affects me. And have you tried and did you try a variety of medications to treat the disorder? Everything. So I would have started out with um, regular medications that were prescribed to me by psychiatrists and GPs over the years when I was a child. Um, Going by the the letters that we have from uh, various professionals, it looks like, because I would have been very young at the time, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of success with them. So as an adult, I tried everything from uh, CBT therapy to 
you know, ADHD groups to just sort of, to be honest, giving up and, and learning to sort of mind my own symptoms myself, which was fine until, you know, the, the pandemic happened. Yeah, you moved to the UK. It was initially to study, wasn't it, to do a PhD? Yes, um, I emigrated in 2012 and I've been in Nottingham ever since. And then the pandemic hit and we all went into lockdown. Talk to me about lockdown and what lockdown was like for you. So um, lockdown basically meant all of the coping mechanisms that I'd put into place um, to help myself with ADHD were were just gone overnight. Um, I started working from home. I was living alone. Um, I just moved into into a new house. So I had no contact with anybody i had nothing no no help with my adhd and um i started to sort of slip into very um unhealthy patterns with because part of the problem with adhd is we can hyper focus on things people think it's a lack of concentration but it's actually um unbalanced concentration so i found that i was working all hours you know, finding it very hard to relax, very hard to switch off. And I, I, that worked for a certain length of time until it didn't, you know, and I got very ill towards Christmas and then decided to seek help from the, the NHS system here. Did you contemplate coming home? Um, I mean, I, I contemplate coming home every day. It's um, oh. part, part of the, uh, the experience of, of emigrating. Yeah. But, um, you know, I have, I have a really good life here and it's very, very difficult to, to leave. And prior to getting my prescription for medical cannabis, I actually work in the industry. So for me to, to come home, it would have meant leaving the industry because there just isn't the same thing. Yeah, in Ireland and le- leaving everything be- everything behind. So you looked to the NHS for help. I did. And what um, happened? So I approached my GP and asked if there was any support services or if I could ha- if I could go on medication. Um, because this, despite my my job in in medical in cannabis and CBD, it actually hadn't occurred to me at this point <laughs> that potentially I could benefit from taking um, any any of these things. So um, I was referred to the support services here, which have recently been set up in Nottingham for ADHD and autism. Um, and it was a it was an absolute disaster. I had a really uncomfortable meeting with the doctors, where I was told that I wasn't ADHD enough for to warrant medication. Which oh is, my god. Horrendous when you've got. Were, were, were those words used? Um, he, unfortunately, yes. And um, you know, when you start going down the road of looking for medication, whatever your diagnosis is, you're trusting um, a, a medical professional to hear what's going on with you, and it's, it, you know, it's extremely nerve-wracking to open up to somebody about particularly when it's mental health and you know things of that nature so for someone to sort of say that they don't think you know 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you for help. I'm looking for help. But at this point, I was in tears down the phone to the doctor telling him, look, I need something. You know, this isn't working. So eventually, um, long story short, I was given a, a DVD on ADHD and that was it. I'm still waiting for any form of contact from the NHS for, in terms of help with my ADHD. And at that point, I just decided enough is enough. And so somebody, somebody somewhere thought, giving you a DVD, you're cured now. Your ADHD, it's all gone. All gone, thanks for watching that DVD. Goodness me, goodness me. (laughs) Okay, so then take me up then to how did you, when did the penny drop? I mean, you're a CBD, you work in CBD journalism, so you know the advantages and the benefits of medicinal cannabis. When did the penny drop that it might work for you? So um, I was researching a a story and looking into um, some of the different clinics in the UK. And I'm, I'm very used to writing about CBD and medical cannabis in terms of epilepsy and conditions like that. So um, I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me. But, uh, yeah, having a look at um, one clinic in particular, Sapphire in London, and I noted that they said um, that they treat um, ADHD. So I spoke to my then editor at the magazine I was at and, and she encouraged me to go for it and I reached out to Sapphire and it, it was just completely different experience from going, you know, going through the NHS. It was wonderful. So they assessed you and said, yes, we think this can work. So I had to give them everything that I had in terms of my ADHD. So proof that I had the diagnosis, um, proof that I had what I had taken over the years, all the different things that I tried, proof that it had worked. You know, I had I had all of that. I had all of the letters from GPs when I was a child. I had, you know, letters between myself and the NHS as an adult, say, and it just, it, it showed and proved that I had tried absolutely everything. So then I was given an, an assessment with a um, specialist at Sapphire. And it was it was great. I actually felt really listened to. And I felt that he really took the time to actually, you know, get to know me and to get to know how, the, um, how that condition affects my life. So you got a prescription for it. What difference has it made to your life, Caroline? It's, it's changed everything. It, it really helps me. Um, wh- where I find it really helps me is in the evening times where I am completely hyper-focused, which is where, you know, the balance of lack of concentration swings and I'm completely and utterly ab- absorbed in something to the point where I will not notice anything around me. I find it very hard to switch off. I can lose hours that way. And I do that with work. So by the time, um, you know, the evening comes around and and it's five o'clock, because I'm working from home now, um, it helps me. I take it in the evenings and it it helps me to switch off, break the hyper-focus and actually relax and get some sleep as well. Because, you know, my hyper-focus is locked into what I'm doing. Um, I've got an excessive amount of energy because I've spent the day, you know, sat down working and I can't sleep because I'm, 
you know, constantly thinking about work and my thoughts are racing. Everything's, you know, everything around me is, is vying for my attention. So, you know, you can be That's overly tough. stimulated by... Yeah, yeah it's, it's really tough. That, 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 it and, tough. And, and I'm very conscious of parents listening, uh, Caroline, who might have a child with uh, ADHD. I, I think you're painting a really good picture of what life is like inside the head of somebody with ADHD. There isn't there isn't enough of these accounts out there because I, I I'm forever saying you know we are my generation are like the generation in the 90s where the diagnosis of ADHD soared you know the Ritalin generation essentially and there if you look at the amount of books and studies and websites and things out there it is aimed at parents and it's it's needed it is absolutely needed however. There isn't anything there for people that are, you know, reaching adulthood or they're, you know, getting diagnosed in their 40s or their 50s. You know, that information isn't out there. And we don't know enough. People don't speak up enough about what it's like living with conditions like these. And you are, was I right in my introduction saying you're the first person in the UK to be prescribed it for ADHD? I, I don't know if I'm the first. Um, I don't know how many people actually have um, a prescription in the UK for ADHD. Um, it's something as a journalist I'm actually looking into at the moment for a series for ADHD Awareness Month. Because so, it's usually prescribed, you mentioned, for for epilepsy. The n- nausea with chemotherapy, isn't it prescribed for that? Yes. And MS as well. And, and MS. They're the three, main, uh, mm-hmm. the, the three main groups. And even though you have an official prescription for this medicinal ca- cannabis, if you decide in the morning to fly into Cork Airport, what would happen to you at customs? We don't know. That's the problem. Um, I could be, depending on, you know, whether I'm, I'm picked up or, you know, I could have, my medication taken off me I could be arrested I could I I mean you know I have to decide whether that's enough of a risk for me to want to to try it in the first place you know I may decide not to bring anything with me at all and I'm I'm fortunate that I'm not experiencing you know seizures or chronic pain because I've spoken to other Irish people who are in the same um, situation as myself who are suffering from chronic pain and arthritis and things like that and they have a legal prescription in this country but they can't get home with it Yeah because I know you're doing a, you're doing a series of articles at the moment I was reading some of them yesterday on uh, Irish people forced to emigrate so that they can access medicinal cannabis Yes um, there's, there's quite a few sadly um, I was surprised because initially I knew of one or two people who had made the move or were about to make the move. And then when I published the first story, which is um, about Alice Maher, who's out in Spain at the moment, um, I got contacted by so many people that were saying, you know, I am about to go, I am saving up to go, you know, and the more... The more that I put out there, the more people start coming and saying, well, actually, I'm in the reverse situation now. Um, you know, I live over here. Everything's nice and legal for me here. I can't get home. 
And then that's when I sort of realised, hang on a minute, you know, I'm about to go home in, in October for the first time since COVID and, and first time since my um, prescription. So that's, that's me as well now. Could you get an Irish doctor to prescribe the cannabis for you? Could you, you know, if there, is there any way around it that way? That I, that I don't know. I don't think so. Um, the system in Ireland is, I mean, quite, fr- quite frankly, it's, it's a mess. Um, it needs to be sorted out. I mean, you know, if the system is that bad that we've got people with, you know, chronic pain from cancer, you know, living abroad, fibromyalgia pain, moving abroad, as you can see in those stories on, on Cannabis Health News, you know, well, they're heartbreaking. I, they're they're absolutely heart heartbreaking uh, stories. And w- when were you last home, Caroline? Um, I think it would have been Christmas just before COVID. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, yep. yeah. A lot of yep. people for a lot of people that Christmas, mm. which is coming up to two years this year. And you obviously have family still outside Clan, have you? I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my family are still based in uh, in in just outside Clonakilty and I you know prior to COVID I would have got home as as much as I possibly could do um, and my family would come over to Nottingham to visit me as well so that's tough yeah that's tough it, it really is t- is uh, tough uh, and and you're just caught in this limbo world that you could you could chance it and maybe nobody would ask any questions but there's a danger. And either, I mean, getting arrested would be shocking, but but also to have the medicine taken away from you could leave you then very vulnerable while you're here on holidays without your meds. Absolutely. And then there's the cost side of it as well. That is medication that I have paid for. It is not cheap. I would have to replace that. And if I do go to Ireland it, it, or I travel without it or it's taken off me, what do, if I was somebody, you know, with, with chronic pain or, you know, with ADHD, I, I, my symptoms will come back. I will, I will struggle, but I can, I can cope for the, you know, the sake of a week or whatever. But if you, if you do have chronic pain, that then leaves you in a, in a position where you're going, right, well, where can I source something for a week, two weeks, however long you're there? And it's, it leaves you sort of, at the mercy of the uh, of the black market, then yeah, which is what no, which nobody wants. Listen, uh, Caroline, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking to you. G- uh, good luck in your journey. Keep in contact with us, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. I will, of course. Thank you very much. Good morning much for to me. you. Bye bye, bye bye. That is Caroline uh, Barry, a native of West Cork, as you heard her, living in Nottingham uh, now and uh, can't get home because she's fearful that her her medicinal cannabis will be taken from her, even though she's a legal prescription for it. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. The Glen Theatre Drama Group in Bantier are thrilled to announce that they are back in business and they'll finally reopen their doors for their autumn production which was postponed last year due to the COVID-19 restrictions. The premiere will be on this Friday, September 10th and the writer of the produc- production, Sean O'Deodig, joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. 
Good morning, Patricia. You're very... Greetings, greetings from the sunny southeast of Ireland. Ah, listen, we've, we're having glorious weather um, uh, today in Cork. Where where in the southeast are you? I'm uh, I'm here near Corraclaw Beach, where they filmed Saving Private Ryan, a place oh. called Castle Bridge. Oh, you're in a fabulous uh, spot yeah, yeah. today. And, okay. uh, yeah, so it's good in Cork too, yeah? In, oh, it's glorious. We've got clear blue skies. It was kind of a foggy morning. The fog has burnt off and it's glorious. We're talking 26 degrees in Cork. You've... Oh, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have left Cork come back come back to Cor- us Cor- Costa de Cork that's <laughs> it now the, the play is called The Cause and it centres around the burning of Cork during the War of Independence talk me through the general storyline of it please Oh, well, the general storyline would be based, would, would, would initially start I suppose with the Dillon's Cross ambush you know, I took that uh, factual event and I, I, I just built on that I imagined a, a British uh, auxiliary officer being taken prisoner, and uh, it was what played out in over the, the following days. You know, so it's it's uh, it centres very much on the burning of the city, you know, and and the devastation that that caused. But but it's it's very heavy on the politics of the day, the history of the time, and uh, the personalities uh, you know involved, and uh, it tells very much the story of of. The involvement of coming them on, you know, mm-hmm. which I feel has been overlooked for far too long, far too long. Absolutely, you know? and what, what I love when you take a storyline like this and put it put it on stage, it brings history to life. Well, that's very much a purpose as well. I suppose as a former teacher and a former, you know, history graduate, I suppose that was that was underpinning the whole drama uh, is uh, the history of our our city and our county. Um, so, yes, uh, because I feel even my own children don't really know uh, the full the details of the horror of what our, our patriots fought for, you know, the War of Independence, you know. It was, mm. we, we took on an empire, you know. People don't realize that. And we were, you know, we were the first of the, of the, of, of the nations of the earth to break free from the British Empire. And, and it was a David versus Goliath's task at the time. Very much so, yeah. very much so. And Sean, as a writer, what is it like to see your piece come alive on a stage in front of you? Ah, I'd say it's, a, it's an indescribable buzz, really, Patricia. It's uh, like I, I just, you know, if we take it from a table reading, which is pretty, you know, it's non-dramatic, let's say, but say I was at the first dress rehearsal now and uh, it was actually, I was blown away oh, by yeah. the by what the Glen have done in terms of set design and in terms of costumes, you know. And, of course, we are, one of our collaborators is Act One Military Service, which has brought a great authenticity, let's say, to the staging, you know, with, with weaponry and, and, and purely correct costumes. So it looks, looks really well. But what really blew me away was uh, Sinead Guinea's rendition of Blood on My Hands. It's a, it's a song that was gifted to me for the play by Nasser de Barod. Uh, Cork singer songwriter, and uh, it literally, literally is um, it, it's so emotive. It's so moving, you know. But uh, Tygo Keith has done an incredible job of staging this play. Incredible. Yeah, and they're they're a talented bunch. So very, very. They, much I mean, so, they really are. So. They they really are. And I saw they put up some of the clips actually on their Facebook page. Uh, yesterday, I was I was watching some of the clips, and it's superb. I mean, it really, it really is superb. Were, were they ready to run with this production last year, well, or were, they, were you just talking about doing it last year? Well, this is this is actually their third time coming to this point, Patricia. You know, we 
we were just ready to rock and roll just before uh, COVID kicked in. And and then in the after the first lockdown, I had and Ty and uh, the cast and everybody involved, my partner and Brown, we had all worked so hard to actually stream uh, the production worldwide. I have connections in New York and that, and everybody was ready to... You know, to, to, to for the premiere, you know, to take it worldwide, which is what I intend to do with the play anyway, you know. Um, but uh, we were stymied when they didn't open the theatres, you know. Yeah, so it's been but nice. this is our third time, Patricia. Oh so I, can only, I, can only, I can only imagine how, how the cast, the actors yeah. and actresses feel. Meal, you know, yeah. it's um, you know, it's it's. But ho- look, we're all looking forward to Friday night. That's it. That's and, it. And, uh, and do you know something? I think it'll be emotional as well. I mentioned at the st- start of the program that at the Opera House yesterday they had their first rehearsal. They're doing um, Philadelphia. Here I come, and the, and there's this great photograph of of the cast all sitting in the theatre that was taken yesterday on day one of rehearsals, and you could see the excitement on their faces. And it's the same for people who are involved in amateur dramatics. It mightn't be their full-time job, but they come to it with such a passion. And and that is the word, and that, that's what the Glen have, a, a terrific passion, you know, for, for theatre. And, you know, there's a huge hunger, Patricia, for live performances, be it theatre, be it music. You know, entertainment, people have been locked up and deprived of... You know, of, of the arts for so long, you yeah, know, so... Yeah. Since the start so, yeah, of the pandemic, it, since the start, first yeah, close, it, last open. A year and a half, yeah. a year and a half, yeah. a year and a half. It's a long, it's a long period in people's lives, you know, to be deprived of, of entertainment. So premiere Friday and it runs across the weekend, isn't it? Uh, it runs across the weekend, yeah, and the following weekend and hopefully it'll run as long as people want to see it, you know. OK, and obviously um, there are strict, we still have to stick with COVID restrictions and... and all and very strict guidelines regarding vaccinations and masks and, uh, you know, we'll socially distance, you know, there's a limit on the capacity, which is unfortunate from the point of view of uh, building an audience. But look, we have to comply. It's and, a start. Um, it's a start. At least, at least we, we, we will have, uh, you know, half the theatre full and, you know, it will be it will be an audience for the, the show. And booking is essential, folks, oh, at, booking, at the Glen Theatre. absolutely essential. There is no hope whatsoever of just coming to the door and expecting to get in. Yeah, that, that won't happen. We, 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 we owe to our patrons and to the, you know, the staff and the crew and the cast uh, to protect. We must still continue to protect ourselves so that we can continue, Patricia, continue to uh, keep theatres open. And Sean, will you be there yourself on Friday night? Oh, I, I certainly will be Great. there. And I have cousins coming down from the north of Ireland. I have my son flying in from London. Um, you know, I have... So many collaborators, so many friends, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's going to be a great night. Brilliant, it's, it's brilliant. Night. And, and w- it's my home village, you yeah. know, so it's, uh, it's that's special in itself because some of my people that I personally invited are my childhood friends, you know, that I grew up with in the village, you know, and bear in mind, Patricia, I would have grown up with these stories, you know, growing up in a pub, as you, you know, as you can imagine, I would have listened to all these stories of the War of Independence and, uh, over the counter, you know, wild mountainy men drinking creamy pints of Guinness, you know, relating and, you know, gilding the lily in lots of cases. But, you know, as a, as a small child growing up, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a wonder, you know. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. it's brought out the best in you now and you're, and you're, well, you're sharing well, those stories that will be around for, for the next generation. 
Well, I think lest we forget, you know, yeah. we, we cannot forget these things, you know. We cannot forget, uh, you know, how difficult and how long it took us to, to become the nation that we are, you know. And listen, it's been a tough 18 months, I think, for everyone, as we've mentioned, uh, in the arts. But it hasn't been too bad for you. You picked up a film award in Los Angeles earlier this year. I did. Yes, I did. I was very lucky, really, to, to pull a win out of it in the dying days of the festival run of the, of the Greek Houses. Yeah, uh, we picked up first time Filmmaker Award in, in Los Angeles. Well done. Um, that's that's no mean, we, that's we, no we mean achievement. One. Well, it, uh, look, I was very fortunate. I, I did an incredible um, and podcast and crew, you know. And again, the, the, the Glen Theatre played a, uh, a huge role in that. Uh, a, a lot of it was shot actually in in the theatre and in, in the environs of Mount Hillary and and uh, Bantia Railway Station, you know, um, featured. So yeah, it, it was a local thing, you know, that travels the world. You know? Well done, yeah. well done, and uh, and you hope for much the same for your new play as well, the cause. We wish you good luck with it, uh, Sean. Good luck to everybody involved in the Glen Theatre. With the premiere opens this uh, Friday night, runs across this weekend. Glen Theatre, book your tickets, please, uh, folks. Sean, a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you Gareth, for that. Gareth Mila Mahagut, Patricia. Bye bye, bye bye. Look after right. yourself. Take Slaan. care. Uh, Sloan, that. that is uh, Sean O'Deadick, who is the writer of The Cause, uh, a story centering around the burning of uh, Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to Annette in Ahakishta sending me on the most glorious photographs of the beautiful morning that Annette woke up to this morning in Ahakista. Just picture postcard both of those photographs. Thank you for that and hopefully everybody is having this glorious sunny day that we're having and if you're lucky enough to be by anywhere by the coast then please, please enjoy. Somebody who and I'm hoping that they've made it to the top of the queue. This is someone who is in the queue in Ballinacarriga outside Dunmanway waiting to get a COVID test. They sent me in a WhatsApp with a photograph of a letter that we're, we're getting on to the, to the HSC just to find out uh, exactly what's going on here but it's a letter to say that the walk-in COVID test centre Balanacarriga in Domamwe has been suspended after today. It's going to be appointment only from tomorrow. Now we had heard earlier today that all the appointments for today were gone so that anyone who needs to get a COVID test in West Cork has to join the queue of people and this listener, this was at coming up to half past 11 said I've been in the queue since 10 and I'm still not anywhere near the top so I don't know how long the person has ended up waiting if they can let us know uh, please we know that it was at least a two hour wait for the walk in test centre in Ballinacarriga yesterday. It is looking like from that text that it looks like it's a two hour wait again today. Uh, but please, if you need to go forward for a COVID test, don't let that put you off. But as in from tomorrow, it seems, according to the HSE, if you want to get a COVID test in Ballinacarriga, you're going to have to book and you book either through your GP or you can book it online uh, as well. And that's got a lot to do with the rising number of people who are coming forward for testing. Even though um, if I get a chance I'll take a look at the numbers are falling which is good news but there's still a number of people going forward for testing it could have something to do with the number of 
young people who are at school, the 12,000 people that I mentioned that are self-isolating, they'll have to get two tests, tests at the beginning when they've been deemed a close contact and then they get another test on day 10. So if a lot of those have to go forward, obviously the HSC are going to know the days that they're going to be busier with people coming forward for their second test because if they get the second test on day 10, then they will be able to go back to school. So could have something to do with that. So uh, John Paul is working on trying to find out what walk-in test centres are still available or is it all gone appointment only so hang in there and we will let you know please we spoke about medicinal cannabis with Caroline sharing her story and incredible the way she shares her story of you know living since the age of 10 was when she got her diagnosis with ADHD and tried every single medicine under the sun and any parent listening that has a child with ADHD will know some meds work brilliantly other meds don't work at all some meds will work for a period of time and then for whatever reason they stop uh, working uh, and then for for those children who become adults they have to learn somehow coping mechanisms and learn to live with ADHD and to say some very successfully live with it with medication and everything is fine but for people like Caroline the meds simply didn't work and then lo and behold she discovered the medicinal cannabis works and is working really well I mean it's just changed her life listening to her but now she's in a dilemma that if she decides to come home she can't bring her her it is medicine she's a prescription for it but she won't be able to bring her medicinal cannabis uh, with her a listener says hi just want to text you to say I started my son on CBD I researched it and researched it he is autistic but he also suffers with very severe anxiety I started him on CBD about two years ago and the difference is between night and day it's enabled him to stay in mainstream school he's a much calmer boy he's able to concentrate better it has changed his life and our life now it is expensive but it is worth every penny of it well done and I wonder what your have you spoken with your doctors as to what they're saying about it because I know there can be a big you get some doctors who very much advocate on behalf of CBD and medicinal cannabis and see the benefits and then you've got others who'd say no they don't agree with it and it can be a real dilemma but you know if it's working for you and it certainly seems to be working for your family and it seems to have changed your son's life around it's just such a pity that you've got to fork out all the money for it but when you decide to go down a route like that they you're not, you're not going to get, unfortunately, any funding from the HSE. Continue good luck to your son and uh, hopefully he continues on that path where his autism is uh, under control and he's able to live as nor- normal a life as possible. And actually, that listener who was in the queue in Ballinacarriga in Dunmanway waiting to get a COVID test is just literally, as I was reading out the other WhatsApp, the, her WhatsApp came back in, finally home after the COVID test in Ballinacarriga. I joined the queue at 10am uh, and I left it at 12 12.05, so almost two hours for me. The nurse said there were three or four people whose families in many cars were, t- were coming for testing. Or oh, there was three or four entire families arriving in cars and that's what was taking so long. So normally when you go to a test centre, it's one person in the car gets tested, move along, next person, move along. But if you're doing three or four people in the one car, and that's understandable if a whole family has been deemed a close contact, 
everybody in the car has to be tested so it is delaying uh, things good to know but as I said that's the listener who sent on a copy of the letter that they got from the HSE to say that they're suspending the walk-ins from tomorrow into Mamway. It is by appointment only so please check in with your doctor to get an appointment or you can do it on uh, line. Hi Patricia, I'm just wondering if you could put this out there. People living in the Mill Street area, is anybody else noticing that they're of late? There's a lot of vans using the yellow box at the McCroom Cross in Mill Street. They're using it as a loading bay. The downside is it's blocking traffic. Now we know any any one of those yellow boxes, you don't go into it until your exit is free. Not that everybody abides by that. And the frustration of being stuck because you can't go anywhere when the lights change because somebody has decided to block up the yellow box and it holds up the traffic and people are bipping horns and there is just general frustration all around, particularly if you're trying to get somewhere in a hurry. But to think of somebody in using it as a loading bay seems really bizarre. Anybody else notice that? In the Mill Street area, the yellow box at the McComb Cross that some people in vans are using it as a loading bay. If you're one of those van drivers, please desist, please. You are frustrating other motorists because you're blocking up all of the traffic. Now, there's also a number of texts in on smokeless fuel I mentioned this at the top of the programme that from this time next year the ban on smoky coals will come into being at the moment. It's in about 42 cities and towns around the country. People are not allowed to buy and people can't purchase in any of those areas, can't purchase any of the smoky coals. And we know for quite some time that there has been talks that it's going to be a nationwide ban and we're now being told that it is from September of next year. So we've got a year to go and then you won't be able to buy smoky coal after that. A couple of people giving in their tuppence halfpenny worth on this. Marie makes, I think, a kind of an interesting point. Just wondering, if there's a very bad storm with widespread power cuts, rural areas could be left for at least a week without power. They'd have no light, no way to light a fire to keep warm. I've noticed a lot of the modern houses have no chimneys. How would they manage if we ended up in with a week-long power outage in your area? It has happened in, in the past. No blame to the electricity crews but rural areas are always left waiting for their lines to be repaired. Thanking you says Marie and remember that Christmas where we had the massive storms and Marie is right I know very good friends of mine in West Cork at that time were without power and it did go on for a full seven days but remember there was there was households on Christmas Day that didn't have any electricity. The storm hit on Christmas Eve because I remember I needed to travel to Clonmel on Christmas Eve and I remember the scariest drive doing the programme here on Christmas Eve we ended up going off air and the engineers had been working flat out to keep us on air and I think by about 12 o'clock we decided there was no point and I got in the car and I drove which what felt like through the eye of the storm and it was one of the scariest experience and I remember we had a power outage then in Clamel for a couple of hours on Christmas Day but everything came back and we were okay but I remember hooking up with friends of mine in West Cork who were without power for an entire week so Marie is right the modern houses don't have the newer houses don't have any way of lighting a fire 
what would happen if you had a power outage that lasted that long? It would be yeah, a tricky situation. And, if, and obviously, if it's a big storm, more than likely it's going to be in the winter months when you could have very cold weather. What would they do? Ponders Armoury. But back to the smoky coals. Mike says, I agree with the woman who contacted you earlier to say she tried out smokeless coal last year and she felt that it gave out less uh, heat. The only plus side is, says Mike, if you are using smokeless coal, you don't have to clean, clean the chimney as often. And Antoinette is in Ahabolic and she said, Hi Patricia, I also have tried smokeless coal in my boiler stove. Very hard to get it hot enough to heat the radiators. This was a smokeless stove coal. More expensive than your normal coal as well. How will this expense affect elderly pensioners? Many elderly pensioners only have an open fire for heat as it is they get a pittance. How will they be able to afford the added expense when we go to smokeless fuels? I wonder, will there be an increase in the fuel allowance? Anyway, I was looking up when I saw the criticism come in of people saying it is just is not as hot as normal coal. So I said I'd have a quick look online to see if I could get any information because I don't know a lot about smokeless coal. But it seems, experts say, it is more efficient than conventional open coal fire indoors. And the reason for it is because the high working temperatures that it radiates into the room as an infrared radiation. And how you can judge that, if you've ever burned smokeless fuel and smokeless coal, you'll see it becomes literally red hot. It has this bright red coloration when you have a very mature fire and they say that that heat radiates back into the room almost like an infrared radiation. The hot gases produced are lost up the chimney thereby reducing efficiency just as in an open coal fire and the gases then are mainly carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide and there's some water vapour. Little or no smoke, chimneys remain cleaner which is one of the points Mike uh, made and they remain cleaner longer and they require less brushing and less cleaning. So there are all the pluses but they say it radiates heat into the room more but our listeners are saying otherwise and then when you look at the downsides they say the experts say there are downsides to the smokeless coal. One of the obvious ones is they can be much harder to ignite when you first start to light the fire. So it's harder to get it burning and get it up and running. There are fewer flames uh, but there's a general, and then there's generally a higher ash content as well. And experts accept that they are more expensive, and they're more expensive because of the cost of the mass manufacture of them. And the costs. This was at 2020 prices. They can be about the premium could be about 30 percent over normal coal. That's a lot. That's a lot if your only source of heat is an open fire. So I think Antoinette in Nahabolic is right to be concerned about some of our elderly people who, as I say, in the main, if they live in older houses, may only have an open fire to heat their home. So when the nationwide ban comes in, it is certainly going to affect 
that group of people in the pocket more than others. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative. The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. Kushla Avenue. They have an enrolment night at the Nanonagel Centre in Kilavollen this Friday between 7pm and 9pm. Now, due to COVID restrictions, this enrolment night is for new students only. You can contact Kushla Avenue through their Facebook or you can call them at 086 037 4166. Drumahan Classic and Vintage Run will be held on Sunday next, 12th of September. The entry fee is €10 Euro per car and registration will be in Drumahan Community Centre from half 11 on Sunday morning. And the Captain Francis O'Neill Memorial Annual 5K Walk will be held also next Sunday, starting at the O'Neill Monument in Bantry, 2pm in the afternoon. Proceeds are going to the Trailaban Bridge for a musical session and then returning to the monument for traditional entertainment. All musicians, please, are welcome. Please adhere to COVID-19 rules. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Sheila, thanks Sheila for your text. Trish, I remember that storm on uh, Christmas Eve that put us without, many people without power on Christmas Day and for parts of West Cork without power for a week. Sheila says, I cooked my turkey in the range and I cooked the ham on the top of the range and weren't you lucky to have a range, Sheila? There would be no Christmas dinner otherwise. It was gorgeous stories. I remember coming back to work after Christmas and people talking about neighbours getting together like that, what Sheila's talking about. Somebody who had a range that would be able to cook and people were cooking more than one turkey and people got together and there was that wonderful united, you know when a community unites when things are going bad and West Cork are famous for that, for people helping each other out. But it was certainly a tough, tough Christmas and others then saw the, you know, trying to see the, the good side of everything, said, you know, there was no TV, uh, you know, transistor radios, you had to have the old batteries for the radio to keep people going. But it gave people the opportunity just to sit and talk and to reflect on Christmas and times gone by. And for some, they, they found great joy out of having no electricity over that period of time. And I'm trying to think of when that actual storm happened and it must have been in the late 90s, that Christmas Eve storm. And because and how I benchmark everything is from when Marsha came to live with us and everything that happened before Marsha and after Marsha. And she came to live with us in 2001 and I definitely didn't have her with me heading to Clonmel that Christmas. So it must have been the 90s. Was it the late 90s? I must try and find out when that storm uh, was. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Sheila. And then somebody else just on the electricity part of it when we were talking about, remember the listener who was making the point about what would happen if the electricity went and you did have a power outage like that Christmas storm and people were without power for a week. What would people do, particularly people who in new homes that don't have a chimney and you couldn't light an open fire. Alma said, I always wonder if there was a power outage like that where people were without power for a, for a few days. What about people with an electric car that charged their cars at home? You might even be able to go anywhere. Yeah, it's a good point, uh, Alma. John in Cove on the smokeless coal says the OAP, oh, this is 
wasn't it Annette in Abolic says she feels for the elderly people because they are the ones who only have an open fire and we all know that the move to smokeless will be more expensive. Uh, John says, don't be worried about the old age pensioners. They are very well off in this country, says John. They are on good pensions. So why do they need an increase in the fuel allowance? I see pensioners coming out of hairdressers with their hair all done every week. This is a costly thing to, to do. We need to rethink all of these increases. Are you for real, John? Are you for real? What is wrong with an elderly person going to get their hair done once a week? It might be their only treat. And can I just say, when you say that pensioners in this country are on good pensions, why would they need an increase in their fuel allowance? If you're talking about pensioners who are on a very large private pension that they probably worked all their lives for and they are damn entitled to it, then those people won't be on a fuel allowance. The people that are on a fuel allowance are the old age pensioners that are living on a state pension. And the state pension might pay out a little bit more than what's paid out to social welfare. But you could not say that somebody who's only living on a state pension, an old age pensioner, you cannot say that they are well off. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. You're completely wrong. And I see nothing wrong with a pensioner going off and getting her hair done every single week. More power to her and him. Don't know if the hymns go every week, but the hers go every week and there's nothing wrong with it. Tom and Donnera says we are using smokeless coal for a number of years and Tom and Donnera finds that the smokeless coal is dirtier than the normal coal. All the experts say it's not. He says, he's in living proof of it, he says the, their chimney actually got blocked from using smokeless coal. He said that never happened in all the years that they were using normal coal. And as soon as they switched to smokeless coal, he said his chimney was blocked and the experts tell us it is the exact opposite that happens. OK, thank you. Now uh, now I've got confliction. Patricia, the storm was in 1996. Jane and Licky says the storm was in 1997. Tom says it was 1997. So it's either 96 or 97, but you're definitely in the right timeline. It certainly was in the late 90s for sure. I tried, it could have been, actually, it could have been, could it have been 96 into 97 in that way? All of the listeners are right in that it happened on Christmas Eve of 1996. But because power outage lasted, it could have gone into it would have been there for the 1st of January 1997. So everybody's suggesting those two different dates uh, could be right. Sheila says, I tried smokeless coal last year. Nearly impossible to light. The experts do say that, that it's harder to ignite. Uh, also, Sheila says, very little heat. Found it useless, says uh, Sheila. 1850-333-103. Now, I did mention this at the top of the programme uh, today with live, in, live indoor entertainment back from yesterday. We sent Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, we sent her off to the Opera House in Cork because yesterday was day one of rehearsals for Brian Friel's wonderful play Philadelphia Here I Come and Marie says that everyone, the excitement after the theatre being so quiet for 18 months for the performing arts sector, she said you could sense the excitement and she sent us back this report. There was a great buzz at Cork Opera House as rehearsals for Brian Frills' Philadelphia Here I Come got underway. My name's Alex Murphy and I'm playing Private Gar. There's two Gars one is the real guy that's there, and I play his kind of inner thoughts. His imaginary friend, if you will. It's just great now that things are picking up again, and just knowing that people will be going out and seeing shows is very exciting too. I can't wait now. We start the rehearsals properly now after lunch today, and uh, 
just kind of want to get stuck into it. So looking forward now, all the family is going to be coming open at night. So granny, so it's very exciting. <laughs> Alex Murphy may be best known for his role in the Young Offenders. No, I've been very fortunate and I've started the Young Offenders. But I did that when I was 17 and, you know, that really gave me a great start that I can't be thankful enough for. So, so far, so good. Long may it last, I guess. How do you find that when you're going along the street? Like, oh, I know, yeah. I have a lot more hair these days, so that, that helps a bit. But uh, yeah, it doesn't stop people shouting out Connor. Like, oh, you can call me Alex, but thanks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we don't know. It's kind of hard to get everyone together. Thankfully, people are we're all working on different bits, so we'll wait and see. But it's hard to tell. Fanula Linehan, who plays Lizzie Sweeney, says it's very exciting to be back. It was like the night before Christmas, nearly, um, to be going to bed last night knowing that we were heading back into live theatre and we've been starved of it for so long, not having a whinge or anything, but we have been. I think not just actors and um, all crew, etc., and anyone who works in the arts, but indeed the audiences around because I enjoy going to theatre nearly as much as I do being on stage. So, brilliant. Opening night is October 5th. Producer Patrick Talbot says it has been tough to see the performing arts sector so vulnerable. The last 18 months certainly has been very, very challenging for people on a professional and a personal level. And now we have an opportunity in some little way to correct that. And the announcement last week whereby, you know, we can have a capacity of 60% here uh, in the Opera House gives us a fighting chance, you know, um, and and I I think audiences generally will embrace it as well because going to shows like this is a flag to all of us that normality is within reach. We're nearly there. We We just have to be careful, you know, the pandemic, as the Taoiseach said last week, it's not over. It's far from being over. But, um, but, you know, we're in a much better place than we were even six months ago. The new production received a grant of over €330,000 from the government's live performance support scheme. Without the funding, quite seriously, this would not be happening. So, yes, we're we're, we're very, very grateful for that. Um, And and, and it's given, you know, employment opportunities um, and it has pulled this very large company of people together. um, And I'm, I'm very pleased about that. Oh, well done. And to hear one of the actors saying it was like the night before uh, Christmas, the excitement of us. Thank you to uh, Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, who headed to the Opera House uh, yesterday for the first day of rehearsals for Brian Friel's play. Philadelphia, Here I Come, opens in the Opera House October 5th to 16th. Bookings at the Opera House, please flurry of texts in about that Christmas storm. Someone says the storm was 1997. It was the year after my son was born. I remember it well. Uh, It was definitely 1997, says this listener. I remember it so well. It was our last Christmas with my dad. Rest in peace. We had no power on Christmas Day. The dinner was cooked in a gas cooker. Do you know something? It was the nicest Christmas we all had. We were sitting by candlelight and just all sitting around talking. And I heard that from so many people. Uh, I'm only 48 so at the time I was 24. (laughs) You were only a young thing that's uh, for sure. And then somebody else says the big storm was definitely Christmas Eve 1996. I remember it so well as we had a new baby in our family. Isn't it? (laughs) 
1997. Here's somebody else back in saying it was 1997. It was my sister's first Christmas in America. She left us in January of 1997. She sent presents back to us, her younger siblings. I remember clearly begging our mother to let us open the presents on Christmas Eve, the ones that had come from America, because we had no power, we had nothing else to do. So yes, it was definitely 1997. So the bulk of our calls are saying it was 1997. My husband Phelan was with Aircom. It was very busy. So it was 1997. That is from Jane in Ballylickie. Thank you for that, uh, Jane. So, hi Patricia. It was Christmas 1996. We just moved to Bantry to live and I said it to my husband, if there are storms, if these are the storms they get in Bantry. I'm not staying here. By the way, 30 years on, I'm still here. <laughs> so there's somebody else plumping for 1996. And Trish, I remember the storm really well. We only had a small transistor radio and that was our only connection with the outside world. OK, thank you for that. Am I going to a caller? Uh, to John Paul. This is on the, okay, some reaction to John who was saying pensioners are all really well off and why would they need extra money and don't be worrying about them when the smoky coal ban comes in so they're well able to afford it and saying that uh, sure, he sees pensioners getting their hair done every single week and uh, they can well afford it. Denise makes an interesting point from West Cork just to tell uh, John, besides a pensioner getting their hair done as a lovely treat, for John's information, some of those ladies may actually find it difficult to wash and dry their hair themselves, maybe due to uh, arthritis. You were right to challenge him. It really is a horrible attitude to have. Nancy uh, reacts to John in Cove. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Nancy. Oh, sorry, this is on the hotkey. My apologies. I thought I was going to a phone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, here's Nancy on the hotkey. This is Nancy's reaction to uh, what John had to say. Let me go to this. That pillock 
of a man saying uh, old age pensioners are, are well catered for and he sees them coming out to the hairdressers every week. I go to the hairdressers every week and I'm not one bit ashamed of it. I don't smoke nor drink. I don't go to concerts. I don't go to pubs. I don't go anywhere. Spend 20 euros a week on my hair. 18, 18 to be exact, but say 20. And I don't feel one bit ashamed of it. And if that's what we do in our old age to keep us, it cheers us up. Uh, well done, Nancy. Well done. Are we allowed to use that word, that pillock word? And there we are, John Paul says we are. Eileen's in Bear Island. Uh, hi, Eileen. I'm hopping mad as well. Oh, <laughs> I knew you would be. Well, I saw your name I am pop up. I'm mad. Do you know something? I was sitting outside to have me a cup of tea because it's so lovely today. Yeah. And he ruined my cup of tea. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how dare he? And, you know, how dare he say that? Yeah. I mean, we are the people that contributed to the country's coppers all our working lives. And how dare that man say that we don't deserve is something like that. But he says it, it proves the point that you're all loaded with money if you can go to the hairdressers oh every week. Oh my God. I mean, so what? It's so what? So what if we go to the hairdressers? No, I don't go every week, but, but I do go to the hairdressers and I love it because it's a day out and it's lovely to get your hair done. But apart from that, how dare he say something like that? Yeah, and, it's, does, and it's, you your, know, it's your money to spend. bleeding the country dry himself. Oh. Do you know something? <laughs> but you know, I think Nancy's point is right as well. She doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't go to concerts. Well, I go to concerts when do I was there. I, I do, I do. I'm afraid I do go to concerts. I love going to concerts. I love going to football matches. I love going places like that. But that's my treat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why shouldn't I have a treat? Who says that the old age pensioner shouldn't have a treat? What does he want? And we sit at home in a corner, you know, drooling. I'm sorry. With your, with, with your hair down to your, your yeah, backside. Yeah, I'm sorry, like, <laughs> you know, but I mean, like I say, we have, we're the people that contributed to the country. And when you get to a certain age, when you get your pension, then it's the country's way of saying to you, well, thank you very much for all you contributed. And this is our way of paying you back. And we'll give you a little bit of luxury for the rest. And I mean, it's not luxury, Patricia. It isn't. You know? It isn't. It it's isn't. I made. Nice. I did make that point when I saw his it comment isn't. come in. Even people you know, living on the state pension. I mean, I, I'm happy with my pension. Yeah, I am. You know, I'm not complaining about it by any means. And I'm not complaining. I'm not saying we want more. What I'm saying is that I'm glad to get it. But I don't think it's a luxury. And I don't think we're getting over and above. Go back you out know. now and have another I cup of tea and enjoy <laughs> enjoy the lovely weather, all right? Thank you so okay. much. I just want to say to Leona McGuire, congratulations, you're a star. Well, wasn't she brilliant? Oh, my God. I, I mean, I was watching it over the whole weekend, like, but, um, but like she was just, you know, She's she was brilliant. outstanding and she didn't let the side down, which well was done. great. Being okay. a rookie, you know. All right, but, Eileen. All right. God bless. Thank Mind you so yourself. Uh, West Cork listener says as a pensioner who gets by on the state pension can I just say I spend most of it locally thereby giving work to supermarket staff petrol stations coffee homes and other local enterprises kind regards a male West Cork uh, listener and Sheila also makes a similar point as I think pensioners are keeping every business going Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie this is the Cork Today replay on C103. 
so many texts and calls with people saying that that Christmas storm that I remembered that it was either 1997 or 1998 and everybody's adamant that they are convinced it was 98 convinced it was 97 thank you to somebody who sent me on a WhatsApp from the Irish Times and this is confirms that it was Christmas Eve of 1997 is the correct year because it's a clipping from the Irish Times from Christmas Eve 1999 that says two years has passed since the infamous and tragic Christmas storms and the Christmas Eve of 1997 what happened was there was two storms and they merged over Ireland that's what made the storm so bad so that's the <laughs> so it's put to bed now it was 1997 was when that Christmas storm was and thank you lots of people have uh, such great memories about it were very very late going to uh, Joe Heffernan and he joins me. Do you remember that Christmas storm, uh, uh, Joe, in 1997, on the one on Christmas Eve? That one doesn't come to mind that much. We have a problem here with trees and um, we fear storms very much because it might mean we wouldn't get into our home or yeah. indeed uh, get out or if an ambulance was needed, wouldn't get in or out. So I do remember the storms. 2012, I especially remember. Yeah, no, this was the bad one in 1997. Yeah. It, it hit on Christmas Eve, which of course then meant a lot of people were without power on Christmas yeah. Day. There yeah. was whole sections of West Cork that were without power for a week. And actually, Mairead Tuig, our news reporter who I just played out a couple of minutes ago, her mother has just sent in a text saying she vividly remembers the storm of 1997 because Mairead was only a toddler at the time and she said they'd no power for a week in Ballygarvan. Yeah. They were without power. It was such a long time uh, to be without power. Of course, they went to the more populated areas to get the power back. So other yeah. areas uh, were okay. Absolutely. All right. We were a week out too um, in 2012. Um, we used to be joking with Sean Donnan. We became known as the Borbui too. Yeah. Um, everyone else was back, but we weren't because we're just one isolated house. Yeah. Yeah, Elizabeth has just sent in a text saying, yes, it was Christmas of 1997. We had just moved into our new house out in a rural area. I remember saying, I can't live here if this is what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> OK, now we're, we're going to touch on this and we will come back to it again uh, next week. Uh, and this is all to do with fair fighting and kind of the rules around fair fighting. Is, do, uh, do you, yeah, do you accept that we're all a little bit more tetchy? Oh, I couldn't agree more. We definitely are. I mean, any little tittle-tattle that happens can be... Um, we're, we're ready to be annoyed at the drop of a hat. And um, unfortunately, very unfortunately, um, I've heard stories of people who we should be thankful to working on checkouts at supermarkets and... Um, you know, if they remind a person about their, they've forgotten their mask, um, you know, they have been listening to some very, very abusive um, talk. Uh, the kind of thing that should not happen when, when it's someone that we should be saying, thank you for being there. Uh, thank you for, you know, keeping, keeping us going. They could all have easily stayed at home and said it's risky and then we wouldn't be able to get the old loaf of bread. Um, so I thought that that was really, really unfortunate. And how, um, how do you explain that? Is it just that all of the lockdowns and all of the restrictions, everyone is just reacting differently to it? Is, would that be your thinking? 
I think there, of course, that would be top of the list, big time. But um, I suppose some people as well are, um, you know, uh, just uh, very easily annoyed, can lose the head very easily um, if that's like how they behave, uh, COVID or no COVID. And um, but it's uh, it's really devastating for. Usually a young person behind the checkout, and it ruins their day, and they go home demoralized. So um, I think it behoves anyone who has done that uh, to accept that they were wrong, and maybe to go back and, uh, you know, apologize. Just to say, look, I lost the head that day, Um, I was out of order, and I'm sorry. And that usually, um, you know... Uh, is a very positive thing to hear for the person um, who was at the receiving end of that. And I would encourage anyone who would have um, engaged in that to just acknowledge, okay, I I lost the head, I was out of order, and, um, you know, as they say, when we are are wrong, promptly admit it. And and that would solve an awful lot of problems. Um, But like we will talk about next week with couples. Um, And in our general um, uh, lives, like I find at the moment that um, uh, technology can get to me big time um, if it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, press the keyboard, it doesn't happen. Um, Error, um, you know, invalid password. Oh, for God's sake. I mean, life has become very... To me, anyway, quite stressful in all of that line. And everybody, I think, is feeling the same way. And anger, I suppose, is it's a natural emotion, but it's what we yes. do with it. Absolutely. I mean, we can be uh, passive. Pictures nor sound. He didn't talk to me for three weeks, you dear. Um, uh, the, the other one would be, of course, the one that, that really should be avoided, uh, aggressive. That's um, shouting, slamming doors, uh, throwing a cup, whatever. And, of course, it can go right to the top, the 10 out of 10, physical violence. And then there's the one that we will talk about, um, hopefully a bit more, um, uh, assertive. Assertive, where, you know, where a person is able to say, um, um, I felt uncomfortable there when you said about that I wasn't helping out enough um, around the house. Um, Let's talk about it. Now, that's a very reasonable kind of an approach. And then the subject can be talked about. There can be specifics mentioned, um, like, you know, uh, will you take out the bins on Tuesday? Yeah, I will. Rather than you're useless around the house. Mm. Um, so, uh, to be, to be assertive, um, would mean that in a respectful way that we can, 
disagree with and get and get your point across okay and that's what we'll do next week we'll go through the fair fight uh, guidelines our apologies Uh, it's just the show took off but that's that's the one thing about live radio listen Joe have a good week and we'll chat uh, next uh, Tuesday thanks for joining us okay Uh, bye bye Joe's number is 086-834-8145 before I go just one quick text that I want to bring reacting to John who says the old age pensioners shouldn't be getting their hair done every week Uh, Tom here can I just say shame on that man to say our pensioners don't deserve getting their hair done they are our mothers and our grandmothers and without them we'd be nothing they deserve more than they get thank you for that that's where we park it for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick is with you for the afternoon back with you tomorrow at 10 Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.